All right, so this is uh, our second week in this series, looking at uh, Elijah and Elisha, the, the prophets who share very similar names. And uh, last week, Elijah came onto the scene. And what did he do? He, he came to take on Ahab, the king of Israel, along with his Phoenician, Baal-worshipping wife, Jezebel. So what does Elijah do? He came onto the scene to pronounce a drought against Israel as a punishment for their idolatry. And that left Elijah by the brook Kerith on the east side of the Jordan being fed and cared for by the ravens. So he was there on the outskirts of Israel uh, pronouncing a judgment upon them and being cared for by God. Now this week, this week we are looking at what happens when that drought uh, affects him too and he is forced out uh, to go into the land of Zarephath in the heart of Phoenicia. All right, so what are we going to see? We're going to see that uh, Elijah, he is, he is put into this position of suffering and of vulnerability so that we might see who God really is. So, you know, he might prove what God can do contrary to the, to the idols of Baal that have failed to provide. We're going to see God as the provider and sustainer of life. The sustainer of life and the provider of life, even in the face of suffering and death. Through his prophet, he is able to provide life in a way that, that no idol ever can. And for us, that prophet is Jesus Christ. And we are called to, to believe in his ability to sustain and provide life in just the same way as he does for this, this widowed woman. So let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for the blessings that we have found in Christ. We thank you for the life that we have found in you through him. We thank you for his, his word, the words of life that proclaim us to believe in his death and resurrection as the only means of salvation, of escape from judgment, and of cleansing of sins, and of finding eternal life. Father, we ask that we might uh, read this passage well, we might understand it, and we might uh, give Christ all the glory for who he is as the one you have given to, to give us life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so like we said, we are starting at the, the brook Kerith with God kind of setting the stage here to prove himself. Verse 7. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the, the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. All right. So Elijah, he's camping outside on the border of Israel, but he can't stay there forever. And he's not immune to the effects of the suffering and the, the judgment that has come upon Israel. It starts to affect him too. The brook has dried up and Elijah is forced to move on. And so God calls him to, to go. And 
we're going to see that there's a, there's a reason why he's sent. And he's put in an incredibly vulnerable and weak place so that he might see the power of God. All right, first, he goes to Zarephath. Why is that such a big deal? I know that means nothing to you. All right. Uh, Zarephath is part of Sidon, which is part of Phoenicia. Okay? Remember who, who is from Phoenicia? Jezebel. All right, so this is, this is Baal territory. He picks him up and says, all right, go, go deep into the heart of idol country. The very idols that Israel is struggling with and is worshiping, I want you to go there. All right, we're leaving our home team advantage, and we're, we're going out deep behind enemy lines. That is where I want you to go. Now, why, why send him there? Baal is, the, is the, the harvest and rain god who is supposed to be able to provide. He's supposed to take care of his people, the ones who worship there. And now in the midst of the drought, we're going to see, we're going to see who is the better provider for the people. Who is able to really sustain life and maintain fertility. The true God or this idol Baal. And what does, he, what does he do? He sends him to, of all people, a widow. A widow in the midst of idol country. All right, what is he essentially saying? All right, it's kind of like if you lost your job, we're getting kicked out of your house, and God said, you know what, there's this great homeless person on the other side of town, and he's going to take really good care of you. <laughs> go, go, go find him, and, and you'll be fine. All right, this is the last person in the whole world anyone would expect to be able to take care of him. And yet, that is exactly who needs to take care of Elijah. Because Baal has been giving all of this credit as the life-sustaining God. Taking credit for the, for the rains that the true God, Yahweh, has sent. For the life that he has sustained. And so, he's going to send his prophet there. And show exactly what kind of a provider he is. He's going to prove himself. Now, what does it take? It's going to take faith. It's going to take believing the word of God. Trusting that of all people, uh, a widow could take care of him. In all places, in the, the heart of idolatry. Verse 10. So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord your God lives, I have have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. All right. Once again, of all the widows, who does God choose? We, we find her on her very last meal, preparing it before she resigns to death in the midst of famine and drought. All right, this is who. This is who Elijah is to depend on for his life in the midst of pronouncing judgment. All right, now... Uh, 
good Old Testament reading. All right, when we look at this, what are we supposed to say? All right, generally, kings, prophets, priests, judges, they're not to represent you. They're not an example for you. Who are they? They are, they are a picture of Jesus Christ. And so when we see Elijah going and hearing this and obeying, our first reaction shouldn't be, oh, that's me. Why am I not a better Elijah? If I heard, go, go have the homeless person take care of me, why would I not go? Uh, because you don't have the faith of a prophet. But Jesus does. And we see Jesus display this, this same faithfulness and independence. That Jesus was asked to, to go into a foreign territory. He's come to, to come down and, and put himself at one with humanity. To live as a, as a nursing infant. To live as, as a homeless person in, in the ancient Near East. To to depend upon the grace of, of Gentiles and sinners for them to feed him and, and take care of him so that he might minister to those in darkness under judgment, under suffering. And he did it with great faith. He did it day by day, receiving from his father. Right? That, is a, that is a great grace that we do not have to muster up or earn for ourselves. He has faithfulness that he gifts us and that he displays that we never have to, have to match. But that is not to say then that that faith doesn't then call for a response in faith. As, as we look here, uh, his faith is a call to this woman. Verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as I have said, but first, but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, I will make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. All right, so what is he saying? He's saying, okay, you have, you have one more meal before you die. You give that to me. You give that to me first. And I'll make sure that God gives you all of the sustenance that you need for the rest of this drought. All right. This is a foreign man with a foreign God asking for her last meal first with the promise of this this salvation in the midst of, of her certain death. And what does she do? Like Elijah, she, she has faith. She gives up this little thing that she's holding on to. And she went and did what Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. All right, so this, this is where we're supposed to see ourselves. That you've received the word of the Lord that says you can, you can trade. You can trade what little you're clinging to 
for miraculous, infinite provision. Do you have faith to do that? And so we have stuff like, you know, you, you, you can hang on to your, your little earthly riches. Or by grace, you can be given an eternal inheritance that Christ has earned for you. Or we say, you know, you can, you can cling to your life and lose it. Your next 20, 30, 50 years. Or you can, you can trade that for the eternal life that is found in Christ. Or you can cling to your own works and your little comparative righteousness in human eyes. Or you can have the absolute perfect righteousness and faithfulness of Jesus earning for you eternal life. All right, we are offered these decisions. We are, we are, we are given these same promises. Which I just spent time in Revelation where this, these promises were laid out again and again and again. From the mouths of Jesus himself, the true prophet. And we ask ourselves, all right, do I have faith? Do I have faith to receive them? What will I do? Now, what, is, what does this woman get to see? As a result of her faith, she, she sees herself and her son live through this judgment against the land. She day by day gets to see the provision of the Lord. Uh... You see, speak of uh, missionary biographies are like one of my favorite things. Um, they're so encouraging. And you hear them speak, they're like, I, yes, I lived every day in need, but I got to experience God's provision every single day. And when I brought nothing to the table, everything he brought to the table was just a joy to partake in. And to like, to know his care and his love all right, that's a gift that he gives to this woman and to Elijah. This is this supernatural special love that is given to this woman who otherwise would have been left in darkness and death. Now we wonder, okay, uh, what was God's plan here? What was the plan? Why, why did he do it? Why didn't he just leave Elijah at home? And why didn't he just make sure that the lady had enough food from the beginning? Why does it have to be like this? Why do we have to be put in vulnerable situations? Why do we have to have our, ta- our faith tested? Why do we have to wait and see if God really pulls through? Now, in, in your lives, in my life, like, we don't get the clearest answer to those questions sometimes. But it's nice in a story like this where it's like, it is completely laid out for us. He does show us all the steps and he, he, he links them all together. And so we're going to see. We're going to see some of these things. First, first is the, the obvious, the, the salvation of this woman. The evidence of provision, the, the special love that he has shown for her. He's evidencing his, his care and love for the Gentiles. His, his special grace ex- expressed to a, a woman who was caught in idolatry and, and saw the death that was coming to her. 
But there's more, there's more. On another level, this is a story of judgment towards Israel. This is a story about the judgment of Israel, of the grace and the blessing and the provision that they have chosen, they'd chosen to abandon. This should have been a gift to God's people, this God of provision and miracles, but they had traded it for idolatry. And so what does God say? God says, you know what? If you don't want it, then I'll find someone who does. You can have your idols. They'll get me the real God. Jesus, he talks of Elijah and makes the parallel with himself in Luke 4. And Jesus added, Truly I, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I tell you truthfully that there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. While the sky was shut for three and a half years and great famine swept over the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath and Sidon. What is he saying here? A prophet is not accepted in his hometown. This is a condemnation of Israel for rejecting their prophets. They had this tendency to, again and again, not listen to their prophets, kill their prophets, reject their prophets, despise the words of the Lord. And he's saying, if, if you don't want me, I'll find, I'll find a people. And they will experience my blessings. They will know my love. They will find the life that is found in me. Now, what does this mean for us? All right. We are. We are Israel. We are the, the people of God, the church. And just like Israel, we can fall into the same sins. You can reject a, a prophet in his hometown. Right? Not me. Jesus. All right. Many of you have heard the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, day in and day out, your whole life. That these promises were given to you. You've been blessed by hearing this, and you don't care. All right, Kids. Kids, you get to hear the words of eternal life every week, every Sunday. And yet I know that some of you don't, don't listen and don't want to hear it. And All right, this is eternal life. This is your life. And these are great blessings and promises trying to be poured out upon you if you only listen to them. All right, don't be foolish like Israel and think, I've always heard it. It must not be that important. No, you've, al you've always heard it because it is the most important thing in the whole world. To believe and receive Jesus. To give your sins to him and receive his righteousness. All right, it's not just kids, though. Like there's, I know there's some of you in this church who have heard this and heard this and sat there and said, you know what, maybe it's just not for me. All right, that's where there's this sad reality that people who hear it their whole lives care less than the person who hears it one day at 50 and just finds such joy in life in it. All right, please don't reject it simply because you've heard it before, because it feels familiar. That is a great blessing. 
receive these words and believe them. Trust in Christ. Receive your prophet. Trade those little things for, the, for life eternal. Now finally, finally, it's not just a judgment, it's also, it's proof of who this God is. That we have, okay, we, let's, let's compare. Let's compare Baal and the Lord God. This one who claims that the storm God, the God of fertility, the God of life, the God who's going to sustain you and save you, he's not doing such a good job. And so God goes into his own territory and says, you know, I'm, I'm not some regional God. It's not that each, one, each territory gets their own God and they're taken care of. No, what is he saying? He's saying, like, yeah, I can sustain. And I used to give you the reins, but you, you attributed that to Baal. So here's something you can't attribute to anyone, anyone but me. Anyone but Yahweh. I will prove it. And I will miraculously sustain your people that you cannot through my prophet. Right? And I'll remind us, all right, God is working that same proof. Right? Time-wise, right? He worked then. He works now. He continues into the present day. He is, he is alive and he is well please don't attribute the blessings and provisions of God to, to science or to natural order or to that's just the way things go or your own wisdom and success. But if you do, you might see that he, he puts us in a position to need him. He, he likes to destroy idols and show the foolishness of them. I think of people who, uh, who all of their glory and identity was sports until they got an injury and they realized there was so much more life in Christ. Or people who were wealthy and in, in taking all of that away in their poverty, they found the riches of Christ. I've seen people who who in the wake of failure depend upon the success of Christ and the work that he has done. Right? If he destroys your idols, right, look to him. Trust him. He can give you more life in Christ than you can find in yourself. All right. Now that's the first story. And you think, okay, like, we, we get it. We don't get it. So we get a whole nother round. All right, round two. We need deeper faith. We need more, better miracles. We need more knowledge of God. And so he has to do it yet again, verse 17. And after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to, to uh, Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God, you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. 
Now we saw this woman and, and we saw her faith. But now we see that death, death has made its way to her door nonetheless. And when the oil was flowing, it seemed, okay, I, I can trust this God. He's good. I, I believe him. He can sustain us. But now that her son has died, well, who, who is going to sustain me now? Who's going to be there when Elijah is gone? And what does she start to think? She starts to, to interpret it. That maybe, maybe I'm always going to be a foreign woman and an idol worshiper and a, a Gentile. And maybe this God is just a God of judgment, a God of destruction, who is just using me and then rejecting me in my sin. That in the end, all I was was a sinner in his eyes. We're just waiting for the next shoe to drop. All right, so this is where this is where faith, faith is tested and faith is deepened. And we start to see, okay, this faith that I thought, I thought was sustaining me, I thought I, I was seeking life in him, it only, goes, it only goes so deep. And the bitterness and the cynicism starts to come out. All right. Who wants to be the first one to stone this woman? I can't. Right. Have you had these moments? I, kn I know you have. When like, oh, you see, like, maybe, maybe my, my faith is not as deep as I thought it was. Maybe I don't trust the God, God as I thought I was. Maybe I, I don't really believe that he loves me as much as I, I claim to. All right, when is God, where is God then? In the wake of, of real death and real need, who does he show himself to be? Verse 19. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Right. Elijah takes on this, this beautiful role here. That this woman, she, she, her faith collapsed and all she could see was her sin. And Elijah, he, he comes in as mediator, as interceder, as go-between, between God and this, this broken, sinful woman with weak and little faith and goes in her place. And he carries this child up into the, to the upper chamber. All right, you can't, the, the only other main upper chamber in the whole of the Bible is the place where the Lord's Supper is served. And perhaps this is kind of parallel. They're like, okay, we don't need just oil and bread flour and oil to sustain us. What do we need? We need someone to come and, and act on our behalf. We need to be covered not just from suffering, but from, from sin and death. That we are under judgment. 
And we need someone to come and bear it. Blood and body. Not just keeping us alive for the day, but alive for eternal life. And Elijah comes and cries out. Cries out to the Lord for her sake. And what does he do? He has, he has greater faith than she will ever have. He comes seeking a miracle that has never happened before. No one has ever seen a resurrection. No one has ever asked for it. And here, Elijah comes calling for resurrection. Verse 21. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. All right, here he is. He's stretching himself over this child. Covering him. Going face to face with death and with illness and with judgment. And covering it. Bearing it. Calling for the soul of this child to come back to him. Our Savior. Our Savior. He was, he was stretched out. Before the whole world. To cover the sins of the world to come face to face with death, to identify with death, to bear it in his own body, to, to cleanse it by his own blood. Face to face with us sinners, condemned, judged, dying for our own sins, and we have Christ, our Savior, coming to bear that on our behalf. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because we, we deserve to be forsaken, that's why. He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Elijah pleading, and Christ pleading for, for sins to be forgiven, for us to find eternal life. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now I know. It takes resurrection life, resurrection power to make her actually believe that God cares, that he loves, that he can give life, that he's better than idols, that he's worthy of listening to and believing. Now Jesus Christ, he laid in that tomb for three days and he resurrected from the dead. 
And account after account proves it. All of history had to change. All of, all of Judaism had to change to respond that Christ had risen from the dead. He himself resurrected others and resurrected himself. Which of your idols has borne your sin? Has money ever taken your sins and, and taken them to the grave? Has reputation ever done that for you? Has people-pleasing ever done that for you? Have any of those things offered you eternal life? Sought you in your, in your death, in your judgment, in your sin, and offered to bear those things for you and give you eternal life and righteousness? No. And they never will. What did Baal? Baal? Baal was known as a god of resurrection. Why? Because he actually, he, the, the story was, he died every winter. He died every winter and then was revived every spring and, wow, a resurrection story. Look, he's, look, look at what he's doing. All right, what is that? That's just stealing what God was doing otherwise and claiming it for themselves. All right, whatever idols are seeming to give you life. All right, they're just lying and taking credit for God and blinding you from what God is really offering you. Real eternal life. Life for all eternity. A life we cannot imagine. That life we talked about a few weeks ago. Free from sin, free from judgment, free from death and from suffering, free from darkness and pain. And what, what is it for? It's the simple cost of faith to believe, to receive this life that was given, to say, no, I'll stop clinging to the life I had before. And I'll receive it from you at your word. Right. Have you chosen that life? Have you received it from Christ? Does it help you believe that God actually loves you and cares for you and will sustain you? If he's willing to offer his son, if he's willing to die for you, Surely he is willing to care for you and sustain you until the very end. Let us seek our life in Christ and continue to seek our life in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in the wake of faithlessness and doubt, you give your great prophet, Jesus Christ, to show that there is resurrection life out of death, to show that you are miraculously working, to show that you have grace and you have mercy and you bear judgment for our sake. Lord, we ask that you would 
silence the doubts and cynicism, the bitterness in our soul towards you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to look to you as a sustainer and author of life, as the gracious one who is, who is working resurrection life in us and has guaranteed it by resurrecting from the dead. Lord, as we come to your table, we ask that you would work faith in us, that you would sustain it, and you'd help us to, to know the life that we have found in Christ that cannot be taken away from us and cannot be found in idolatry or anyone else, anywhere else in the world, we pray in Christ's name.